there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. Taking on bureaucrats and corporations that would stand in the way of health freedom and making sense out of medical propaganda. The voice of health, freedom, and liberty, Robert Scott Bell. As I mentioned last hour, Advanced Medicine Seminars coming your way. City near you, Philadelphia, first up, September 21st, 22nd with Dr. Rasha Batar. We do this Advanced Medicine every week here, and we're going to do a lot more in person. Quite extraordinary. What is going to be happening here? So this is where we kick off Advanced Medicine Monday. In fact, Dr. Batar, you with me? I am, Robert, as always. Dr. Rasha Batar is here. Listen, a couple of weeks back, he, he kind of surprised me and said, hey, can I invite my friend on? And I said, sure. And then, and then uh, rather than me having to say, Dr. Batar, can I invite my friend on? He says, hey, can you invite your friend on, Liam Sheff? <laughs> and, we, and we did it. We're doing it this hour. Liam Sheff's going to be joining us in just a couple of minutes. Can you share the, the backstory though, is how you found out about Liam and thought he was intriguing enough to bring on with us here? Well, you know, it was funny because you had sent me a link about the uh, new book that Liam had put out. And again, I've heard you mention Liam a number of times, and I had no idea who Liam Sheff was. I just thought he was this dry bone, you know, 70-year-old, balding research scientist that was sitting in a cubicle and basically uh, had discovered something about uh, the HIV virus or something. I, I, I didn't know who he was. I just heard you mention him so many times. And then when you sent me that link about the book, or you sent it, I guess, to your list, and I happened to get it, and I went on, clicked on the website, or clicked on the link, went to the website, and saw this interview, and it was Liam with his hand puppet. And uh, so I thought that was intriguing enough to listen to what he had to say. And as I listened to it, I just, you know, it was a mixture of laughter and yes, yes, yes. And then every now and then, wait a second, I didn't know that. And then it intrigued me enough that I read through the whole website. And that's how it all started. But I had no idea that Liam was, you know, a non-balding, you know, 70-year-old <laughs> type person. So it was, it was funny to see that. It is classic that you had that visual of him. And, of course, you, as you'll hear, if you haven't learned already, he's got quite a, a scientific background of his own right and his own research, but his family lineage is quite extraordinary as well, going back through uh, research into uh, the AIDS scenario, HIV, is, although he's dismantled that, as we have here as well, as well as uh, the polio vaccine. So fascinating stuff. And with that, it fits in with Advanced Medicine Monday because much of what Liam does in his book, Official Stories, is bust up a lot of the medical official stories so uh with that advanced medicine monday welcomes my good friend and a, and a very frequent co-host here liam Sheff to the program liam it's good to be on the show you whippersnappers <laughs> <laughs> he got old before my eyes or ears <laughs> hold on let me put my wig on yeah <laughs> i'm coming is that him or the hand puppet i'm not sure yes that's right he does have a hand puppet producer there is the producer monkey that he does in many of his videos. So I tell you, when you saw that, Rashi, uh, Dr. Batar, I'm thinking you must have go. wait a second. This guy could be off his rocker, but you were intrigued to go further, and you found out a lot of substance was there. 
Well, right away, I mean, you know, you got, you got a guy sitting there with a hand puppet. You got to listen to what he's got to say. <laughs> there's, a, there's a hidden message behind that. And I, don't, I won't get into the political aspect because, again, this is Advanced Medicine Mondays, right? And we don't want to – we never touch on non-medical subjects anyway. So, Oh, of course not. <laughs> don't want to start a new trend or anything. But seeing a puppet on his hand and he's talking about politics and the JFK shooting and such, I thought, okay, well, here's something – that's about as true as you can get because right mm-hmm. there he's got the puppet right in front of you. There's no hidden agenda of the pop puppet behind the scene. Absolutely. Liam, you know, Dr. Batar has been busting up official stories in his own right within modern medicine, and I know that's why he, he recognized the kindred spirit in you. Uh, I, 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 listen, I'm a cipher. Uh, the, the book was written by a – I paid a, a, a group of small – Southeast and uh, Asian children to write the book in about six weeks. <laughs> they uh, they knocked it out. They did a really good job. And the hand puppet. Listen, I'm I'm just the good looking guy who sits here and takes the credit. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not a hand puppet. He's, he walks around on his own. You know, I don't know how that. I do know how that came about. But I, I, I you know, I was doing this stuff with the AIDS thing for so long, and I realized that the truth really didn't matter. And if you scream the truth, people think you're crazy. So I decided to go back, and I think Robert gets this too. We mm-hmm. both have gone back to sort of what we did in the, what, seventh grade, yes. which was to tell jokes. Because mm-hmm. you can't beat the teacher in the seventh grade. There's no way you can, you can outsmart the teacher, but you can't beat the teacher. But if you can make the teacher laugh, yes. if you make everybody else in the class laugh, you, you, might, you might get sent to the, uh, the, the principal's office. If you make the teacher laugh a little bit, chef. That you know what? Uh, all right, that's one more time, and, mm-hmm. and as long as you hear the one more time, you're okay. <laughs> yeah, and we and we did that absolutely. That goes back to the seventh grade, and there were times where I got sent to the principal's office, and I had to learn the the art of how to make the teacher laugh as well, because if they if the teachers weren't laughing, uh, it wasn't going to work. So you're right, the humor came back out. And, you know, Dr. Batar, with you know, the advanced medicine seminars coming up and the seriousness with which the, the subject matter in, in modern medicine and advanced medicine, uh, uh, you know, do you, do you integrate the laughter in these presentations as well? I know there's a lot of tears that flow because of the overwhelming information that's delivered. Well, Robert, you, you read the books, so you know, in the book, the, there is the humor aspect that comes in. And I think yes. it's important to actually vacillate and stimulate the uh, full spectrum of the emotional response that an individual have. Uh, can possibly have, and I think that's an important part of making sure that your message is retained by the listener. But when I saw Liam's hand puppet there, and I actually had the volume on my computer off, so I didn't hear any sound. I just saw this puppet come that came on, and I had already read some of the stuff on the website, so when I turned it on, and to me, it was as if it was a, a spoof on our government system, and you know, the puppets that are up there that we see and behind somebody else pulling the string. So that's what I thought, actually, that he had a uh, he had a hidden agenda with the puppet. But then when I started listening to him, I realized he just, you know, he was one sh- talk short of a combination platter. So that's what <laughs> <laughs> that's only my official medical diagnosis, by the way. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's true. <laughs> how, how true that is. Yes, I like it. Yeah. You know, it's the best way to tell the truth, though. If you tell the truth and it scares the mainstream so much and they feel that you... See, I I tried to be very serious for a long time. And when I told the truth about the AIDS thing and how many kids they were killing in New York, I I had everything documented. I mean, I didn't... 
I didn't miss a tack or a button or a zipper or anything. I got it all, every single bit. I had the person in charge of the thing saying, yeah, we cut the kids' stomachs open and forced drugs into their bodies. And, uh, you know, and I had kids and nurses and everybody on the record. And the New York Times took that and they, I gave them hours of interview and uh, tr- triple dozens of studies, 50, 60 studies on all the stuff that I was talking about. And they wrote an article that was just total invention in which they said that I was a, sort of a lone quack who got his information from the Internet. Now, the Internet, by the way, is where all the medical journals publish their work. So it was true, but, <laughs> but it, was, uh, it was only true to a point, though, because I actually – all the, inf- the real information I had came from real people that I interviewed in New York and the children that I met and one that I held in my arms and so on and so forth and people who died that I knew, that I talked to, that were put on these drugs. And I realized that to tell the truth, to scare the establishment is pointless because all they have to do is lie on the cover of one of their big uh, Pravda-type magazines, you know, the old Pravda. Well, they just do it, and then America keeps eating their GMO cornflakes and looks the other way, and they say, oh, conspiracy. And so I said, conspiracy theorist? No, no, no. I, you know what? I'm a conspiracy realist, and, uh, and I just decided the best way to do it was to do it with a smile and, and tell a joke because I didn't want to be killed, and I didn't, <laughs> and I didn't want to be slimed. So yeah. I figured well, if, I gave, if I let them write me off as a nutty, pr- nutty professor or whatever. <laughs> yes. I was I was doing myself a favor, so I'm cool with it. No, actually, I think it's a it's a good strategy, and from a vantage point of a chess player, I think it's a smart strategy. But the key thing is that the presentation of the material it's not so much the humor aspect of it, but the low key in in which you presented it, and even the information that I read was was done in a very um, artistic way because it was almost like you painted a picture and before you realize what the picture is you're thinking that you're seeing something it's almost like those pictures that have the dots and when you look at them with your eyes kind of cross you see the actual image behind but the way you present it it's almost you know you it's not that obscure that you have to cross your eyes to see what the message is because you're obviously presenting the message but it is a how did I say it, Robert, previously on the show when you and I were talking about this? It's almost like a, a tapestry that's painted into mm-hmm. this uh, work of art. And all of a sudden, you have, you, you're there with the full information in front of you, and you either have to swallow it or you have to vomit because <laughs> either way, you know, it's there in front of you. You can't, you can't deny its existence. Well, that, that explains a lot of what's happened with me and women, that, that thing that you just said. So I'm... <laughs> I gotta take a note right here. Hold on a second. <laughs> yes, while you while you're uh, noting it, use the puppet. Yeah. Use a puppet, Liam. The puppet will help. <laughs> yeah, chicks dig the puppet. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen. He fed me the line. Where am I supposed to go with it? I right? don't. I don't know. I. I. I it just. I just do know that. In, in all the years since I uncovered in my own life my own unofficial official story, you know, borrowing from Liam that I had been lied to about so many things, first and foremost, was the medical lies as I was grown pharmaceutically. Uh, you know, I was so impassioned to communicate my story or the message, the things that I had been awo- awoken to, and, and I was only more concerned with the efficiency or effectiveness of the message. Was it going to land? So I went out there in my own way to try to find ways, and there were times where I got, you know, tomatoes thrown at me, GMO and organic, to say, no, that's not the way. And over the years, 
you know, you find what weighs best. Sometimes I still get animated and angry and I let it out, but it's part of the human experience. I think people appreciate. But more often than not, uh, since, you know, Liam has kicked it in, we've just been doing some more silliness. Some people say get serious, but we're going to listen. We got to get this message out to everybody, not just the serious people. And I think it's yeah. done in a uh, obviously I haven't read the book, but the stuff that I, I have reviewed so far in the book, and of course I'm waiting to get my book in the mail right now, but the stuff that I reviewed that the book covers on the on the website as well as the 15, 20 minutes of video that you had on there, it's done in a very digestible fashion. It's done in a way that people aren't scared away or they write it off right away. It's not an entertaining fashion, which I think is important to entertain people and to the point that at a, at a certain point you get to the hook and once the bait's taken, then the person has no choice but to finish it. And once they finish it, you know, it's just asking that question, is it possible that this is true? And obviously we know that it's true, but a lot of people, they've got their heads stuck in the sand because it shifts their paradigm far too much for them to be comfortable in their own bodies. And so they have no other choice but to keep their head stuck in the sand. And all you really want to do is have them at least have the opportunity to pull their head out of the sand for a second. And then if they stick their head back in the sand, that's their own choice. But there are many, many people that are ready to pull their heads out of the sand. And as Robert and I have discussed on Advanced Medicine Mondays numerous times, that the time is upon us now that the consciousness is uh, awakening even to a greater extent. The universal consciousness is becoming more and more aware of what's going on. And people are hungry for this information. They need this information. Man, can we just take his segments and put them into a commercial and just play it? <laughs> yes. Because I've never heard this is the coolest thing. And where were you when I was growing up is what I want to say. Because mm-hmm. my teachers uh, did not share this appraisal of my particular <laughs> skill set. Like, shut up and sit in the corner and don't challenge me again. I guess that's where I stopped trying to really argue with authority and you know, I fight authority. Authority always wins. You have to not fight. You just – and that's why – My experience has been different, Liam. I've always fought authority, and I have always won. And uh, I'll tell you, it's, it's, almost, it's, it's almost a strange thing the way it's happened. You said when uh, you were a kid, you know, the authoritative uh, version didn't work with you. Oh, it's no. funny because you're talking to a Muslim who went to Bible school uh, at the age of 9 or 10 and was kicked out of Bible school – a Lutheran Bible school, because I asked the teacher a question. This was during the summer, and I asked the teacher, why is it that here it says uh, an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, and here it says turn the other cheek? And the teacher couldn't answer that question, and so she thought I was being a smartass and kicked me out of the school. <laughs> oh, my gosh. See, and, the history uh, is, is coming out. I mean, I grew up Jewish, and I would go in to the rabbis, and they would kick me out. I'd go to the Protestants. I'd go to the Lutherans. I'd ask the questions, and they all kicked me out, too. See, that's why we also get along. But yeah. uh, we are doing an amazing Advanced Medicine Monday here. We are doing official stories as well. Dr. Rasha Batar, of course, is here, and Liam Sheff is here. We're going to take a quick break, and, and let's decide where we're going to go next. But wherever it's going to be, it's going to be fascinating, I can promise you. Check it out, medicalrewind.com, all the great stuff, advancedmedicineseminars.com as well. In the show notes today, we've got links to everything, including Liam's great book. So we'll be right back with more powerful healing after this. Great heavens, what kind of radio show is this? The Robert Scott Bell Show.
bureaucrats and corporations that would stand in the way of health freedom. Here's Robert. As Dr. Batar and RSB here found to be kicked out of a lot of uh, orthodox religious uh, perspectives because we asked too many questions, Liam Sheff also experienced a lot of this in the orthodoxy of the scientific realm, even within his own family. Liam and I have talked a lot on the show about this, Dr. Batar, and it is fascinating. I guess this is like uh, three peas in a pod hanging out together today. Well, we don't have a puppet. No, we don't. We're going to have to get a puppet. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I, I actually... It's not a puppet. He's 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 mobile. He gets around on his own. He's a troubled little orange monkey, uh, and uh, he needed something to do, so I let him produce. Producer monkey. That's right. Well, I have Super Don here, and he does a good job. And if I call him a monkey, no, I would never do that. Hey, now. No, 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 no. He's too tall to be called this. But this is actually a small orange monkey. Produces uh, here on 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 my end of the show, and he makes the videos and sort of things. Sometimes feeds me lines. That's great. I just felt like I needed something uh, to do to talk about. Like, if I'm going to talk about Jay, what am I going to make a YouTube video where I tell people, "Oh, by the way, the government's lying to you." It's much, be- much better for to have me talk to a small orange monkey, I, you know, and talk. About Which, by the way, I wanted to ask you, how did, where did you get that footage from? From the footage that you showed on the yeah. JFK as an example, because you see the double, the double. Uh, well, you see, you you point out something very specific, and then you the play double the double shrug. Yeah, exactly. So, where did you get that video from? It's from an online documentary, and you can uh, you can look up JFK Secret Service pulled off of car in in Dallas, and then you see the car turn right, and you can just see see the Secret Service car following JFK's limo, and you see the guy in the car saying, "Come come back, come back from the car." They're supposed to be hanging out on the back side, on the back bumper. They're actually foot pedals for them to stand on. Yes, and. And you get the double shrug. What? what? No, I'm I'm with POTUS. You know, I'm with the uh, the uh, President Kennedy. I'm with you. You know, uh, what? What? And then the car turns right and goes down down Houston and then left on Elm, where it all happens. And you know, so that's, that's, that you even see the video footage off the Secret Service guy that he's he's disgusted or he's he's like saying something about which way you're going and kind of throws his hands up, right? Oh, yeah. The double shrug. Yeah, he throws his hands up. What? What? <laughs> We're not – you're pulling us off the president's car? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's fascinating video. Black and white video. It's not Zapruder film. Uh, it was shot uh, head as the car headed down with the, the you know, the uh, around Dealey Plaza. And Dealey Plaza is where John F. Kennedy was shot by – I think it's pretty clear from a number of angles by guys who – were upset with him for about 15 reasons, you know, for p- pulling out of the, the Bay of Pigs, for not sending the United States Air Force in to defend the essentially CIA-trained and, and funded uh, coup d'etat mission, for pulling soldiers out of Vietnam, which was a great, you know, a, a military-industrial mission that Eisenhower had just warned against. I mean, the most staggering, the most staggering po- uh, p- parting shot that, that anybody's ever made was Eisenhower when he's leaving the office of the presidency in, in 60, I guess. And he says to the American people, point blank, he looks at him, he says, you, you know, beware the power of the military-industrial complex. You know, there's never been anything like it. it. It has unlimited ability to accrue power. It really has no oversight. Good night, sleep well, eat your cornflakes. You know, he just, and America goes, huh? <laughs> what? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so he says that, and then Kennedy gets in, involved, and he's, you know, he's, 
this is all chapter three of the book, by the way. It's called JFK Turn Right on Houston. And uh, he, he's, a, he's in because his father played dirty pool and really pulled he had he was friends with uh, i want to say giancana i want to say giancana not traficante in in chicago the chicago mob i mean his father was a, a i believe a booze runner he was he was a politician who played his politics pretty dirty he supported um as a lot of people did he supported germany well past the point that history says it was okay to and and if we can go oh my god how could they we, you know, the Bush family supported Germany through their banking operation until 1942, when the U.S. government took the bank away from them. So, you know, it's it's not just the guys that you love to hate. Like some people love to hate the Kennedys, and some people love to hate the Bushes. But both of them, both of them, it's both of them. It's everybody in power. You always bet. You always bet on a money winner. And and so Germany coming up in the 30s was a great investment. The same way that Bill Clinton thought that Southeast Asia was a great investment in the 90s and that we should export all our jobs there. So all we have is a nation of baristas and cashiers. You know, nobody can do anything in this country anymore. And that cheap bubble that we lived in where everything was inexpensive is gone now. So they've essentially uh, made us all dumb and taken away our ability to do anything. And now we're totally dependent on Southeast, or we think we're dependent on Southeast Asian labor. To uh, to make stuff, but yeah, that all comes. That's all back to the Kennedy video. See, hmm. send me down the road, and I just keep toddling. So I'm going to throw it back to you. No, it's interesting stuff. But you know, the the HIV aspect and some of those components, that's just as, if not more, intriguing in my world. There's too many things that just doesn't make sense. I mean, the the aspect of how HIV started, and there's uh, a lot of interesting evidence that the vast majority of the public has never been exposed to. And again, I haven't read your book yet completely, Liam, but the stuff that I did come across on the website about the book was more than intriguing. There's a book called Project Daylily that was written by an associate of mine that I've done some work with uh, named Garth Nicholson. And he and his wife wrote this book. And I was privy to a copy of this about two years, year and a half before it was actually out. I don't even know whether you can still get it off Amazon or not, but there they, they talk a lot about HIV and some of the other things like the Gulf War Syndrome. They were involved with the military and uh, some of the research that the military was conducting at that time. And a lot of this stuff came from a lab out of the in the northeast part of the U.S. And that was a military lab, so... I'm, I'm interested to kind of hear what you have to say about the HIV aspect in, in 12 words or less. Yeah, well, before, Liam, you go into that, I just want to encapsulate this just for the audience, too, to realize that there's a lot of scientific gobbledygook in the whole realm of HIV and AIDS that is meant to really distract you. And although I've been talking about it for years, Liam's been talking and write about it for years, what he's done in the chapter on this in official stories is encapsulate like no one else has ever done, put the whole picture together. And it is absolutely brilliant. So uh, for uh, Dr. Batar, you're going to absolutely love it. But it goes places no one else did, because a lot of these guys that talked about biological warfare experimentation didn't realize that this whole HIV thing was more psychological than anything, because there wasn't there any, any there there. But Liam, with that, I'll turn it over to you. I got my 12 words. Go for it. HIV is fake. AIDS is real. Right, that's six. Hmm. AIDS is 
poverty and drugs. Eleven words. I'm done. <laughs> right to the heart of it. So you want me to get, get, expand? There was a cancer virus uh, thing going on. Nixon, because he was so loved and popular, had to de- no because he was so hated and unpopular, had to deflect from his constant anxiety, and he funded something called the War on Cancer to the tune of 100 million or so dollars in 1971 currency, 72 currency, and that's just huge money. It's real money. He was funding guys like Robert. Gallo, Luke, well, Luke Montagnier was over in France, uh, Peter Duesberg, and uh, my grandfather, Robert C. Mellers, and even my grandmother, uh, uh, Jane Mellers, wrote papers about cancer being caused by viruses, retroviruses. But cancer isn't caused by a virus. Cancer is multifactorial, toxicological. It has more to do with what's in your diet, the pesticides, the plaques that you induce by eating food that is disgusting, putrid, petrochemical crap, and creating uh, plaques in the bodies that starves the body for oxygen and stagnates and so on and so forth. So cancer is a toxic, a lot, you know, toxicological phenomenon, but they always want to blame a virus because you can't sue viruses. If they blame a virus, we are, oh my God, save us from the virus. If they tell you you're getting sick because mostly because of industry, you go, hey, I hate you guys. <laughs> Stop polluting the world. Stop putting... Uh, PCBs, stop putting DDT, stop putting dioxin in the water, so on and so forth. So that's how that works. But they funded a war on cancer, and they weren't looking for a virus. They were looking for enzymes, and they had decided that an enzyme stood in for a virus. And that's all they did. They just kept looking for these enzymes, and then they would look for proteins. And they stopped looking for any kind of anything that that resembled a a real particle causing something. It was all surrogates or stand-ins. And they'll tell you that. Surrogates, surrogates, surrogates. We were looking for surrogate markers. So this group of uh, gay guys comes along in the 70s after the Stonewall riots and after the so-called Summer of Love and all that uh, sort of free love stuff, which was truly a pharmaceutical byproduct of the birth control pill. You have America, you have young uh, liberal university America, you know, feeling free to have sex. Well, it's not that people didn't have sex before 1960, whatever, 64, when the Beatles came over and the girls went crazy for them. It's that girls would get pregnant, and that was a big deal. I mean, you know, lives were made, fortunes were ruined or made because of who you married, who you didn't marry, because once you get a girl pregnant, that's it. You're, you're bound for life. And that was very serious. And you can even see that in the, the literature, the social literature. Even, like, popular pulp novels of the 50s were very different than those of the 60s and 70s because of the birth control pill. So getting knocked up was very, 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 very serious. But after the birth control pill, it, it wasn't. So this, the idea of the sexual revolution as being, uh, you know, some human movement, it wasn't. It's just horny, stupid kids with the total ability to screw each other senseless. Uh, <laughs> with pharmaceutical and that's it. assist, a big pharmaceutical assist, which, as you said, led to an explosion of what? More STDs. STDs. Yeah, yeah ton of STDs. Herpes, chlamydia, gonorrhea, syphilis, huge. Uh, so the gay community wants its share, and it's gay men, and they come out in the 70s, and, you know, they're living in these ghettos and they don't get to go home again you know once you're out dad doesn't says you don't exist and mom cries when she hears your name and that's it so you live in what are essentially filthy college dormitories for the rest of your life in chelsea or uh the the east village or west hollywood that's where you live rest of your life is spent living the way that kids in you know prep school high school dormitories do it's disgusting it's disgusting and because they're men 
because they're men, because there was no lesbian AIDS epidemic, they screw each other senselessly. Because they're men, because there's no limit to male libido in the early 20s into the 30s. There's just no, you know, if it weren't for women saying no, you're, you disgust me, buy me dinner, remember my name, clean up your act, pick up your socks, <laughs> take a shower, shave. Put on some decent clothes, to, you know, read me something, read me some poetry. You know, women, women are, dif- are difficult, and they're difficult for a biological reason. It's because that what, what men do to them is very serious. We impregnate them, and they have to know that we have some value. But when it's just men attracted to men, honestly, the sex act is able to occur before you get done with a sentence, hey, do you want to hook up? You've already done it. You might have done it three times. And that's what happened in the gay ghettos. And that's why you'd have 15 partners in a week. You'd have 15 partners a night. So these guys were coming back ravaged with with STDs. They would take handfuls of antibiotics, which are gut bombs, which strip the intestine. And they had leaky, porous intestines. They had candida from their mouth going into their blood, from their anus going into their blood because they would destroy their colons uh, with enemas, with very powerful shower enemas. Lo and behold, in five years, they're coming in, as John Lauritsen said, gray-faced and, you know, nearly immobilized. Listen, and there were were those that predicted that this would happen, that there would be a plague that would affect the homosexuals of that time just because of what they were doing. And that sort of got shuttled outside the realm of what was accepted. In fact, the early part of this was called gay-related immune deficiency or disease. We're going to get into that on the other side of this break. We've got to take a break. We're going long here. But uh, fascinating discussion. Advanced Medicine Monday taking a turn to the official stories of Liam Sheff. So, Dr. Batar hanging in there. Liam Sheff back after this. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert Scott Bell Show. Rocking the health world through the power of radio. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. All right, back at it. Advanced Medicine Monday continues here. Remember, Advanced Medicine Seminars coming up Philadelphia, the first one every couple of months thereafter. Very exciting what's happening. But official stories are on tap thanks to Dr. Batar inviting our good buddy Liam Sheff to go on. Dr. Batar, I mean, he's laid that out exactly as you would say. This was a disaster waiting to happen. Absolutely, without, without a doubt. And it really is a perfect opportunity for anyone who would want to manipulate the system and drive the train in a certain direction. This this is a perfect presentation. This is a perfect scenario for them to now pick up the ball and run with it. So, Liam, why don't you continue with your with your story? Well, uh, number one, thanks for thanks for being so generous. Uh, let me tell this story. I, I really do appreciate it. Uh, you know, the gay community doesn't really want to hear this, but they are complicit, and, and the culture in, in general is complicit in in allowing us to think that anytime anybody has sex, they're at risk for getting AIDS. You, you get immune deficiency. You acquire immune deficiency when you gut yourself, when you carpet bomb your intestines with pharmaceutical drugs, especially antibiotics. Uh, you know, so much of what was happening was long, prolonged antibiotic poisoning. And it's just resilient in the medical literature if you bother to look at, you know, on the few studies that you can make them do on long-term antibiotic poisoning, mitochondrial damage, everything that happened. But they don't want to hear that. They don't. Nobody wants to talk about because it's not. I'm not. It, look, I'm not uh, damning anybody. I'm not talking about it's wrong to be gay or it's wrong. I'm talking about the pharmaceutical culture that we live in, and now everybody's on drugs. Everybody is now getting AIDS. Everybody's getting immune deficiency. They now they now have primary immune deficiency for children. Uh, 
Oh, you have primary immune deficiency. Why? Because you're putting your kids on antibiotics all the time. Because you feed them fluoride <laughs> you, and, and, and chlorine and God knows what else and Pop-Tarts and all the stuff that uh, rides cortisol to that. So that's what happens. But we, need, we, wanna, we now blame a virus the way the medieval uh, monks always bra- blamed uh, witches. They always blamed witches for whatever was going wrong. Oh, there's a witch. There's a witch. So let's blame a virus. So you need a test to find a witch. In order to find a witch, you drown somebody, and if they drown, they were clearly a witch. If they float, they were a witch, so you better drown them. Uh, and that's kind of how it works. So they have to invent a test. What, what Robert Gallo does is he fakes research for a while and his his buddies at the uh, NIH National NCI National Cancer Institute actually in the beginning say you're faking your research you're mixing together a bunch of cells from monkeys they actually say you're faking your stuff and they throw they sort of send him out to the wilderness and then he comes back and he comes back twice and he says well this time I'm not faking it well it's the same garbage but he says uh, some kind of leukemia in, in southern Japan is caused by well I didn't find a virus I just found some proteins but let's just say it's a virus okay It turns out that these people in southern Japan, actually near Hiroshima, had plenty of reasons to have leukemia. It's called radioactive poisoning over decades. Uh, And so that was fake research. And it was really bad proof. It was like a negative 99% correlation. In other words, of 100% of people who tested reactive for the stupid proteins, like some 0.0 something of them had, you know, would have leukemia. So it was not a good correlation. But he that's considered proof. And because he proved through bad research that viruses cause cancer, we now have the HPV shot, the HPV caused cancer. And all this is in the book, by the way, in, in larger form, chapter 5. Uh, and then you got the HTLV3, which is too much to say, so they renamed, they rebranded HIV. Uh, okay, so what was it? It was a bunch of proteins. They got a, they mixed, He mixed together stuff from cancer cells that were a decade old, literally. He mixed together proteins from old cancer cells that they were stimulating in the lab. He mixed together plasma samples. His lab assistant notes, we mixed together la- uh, samples uh, from 10 guys. Ten, what are we diagnosing here? What are we culturing? 10 guys. And then we take some proteins out. The proteins, by the way, have the exact molecular weight of, of cellular proteins like actin. The, the most common cellular protein and myosin and, 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 and proteins that come up in pregnant women and protein. Every single immune protein that your body can generate to flus, vaccines, colds, stub toes, bad television shows, the Rockford Files, whatever you do, you'll make a protein and the HIV test will grab that protein. And that's how the test works. Now, the difference is how do you tell who's really HIV positive? You look at their skin color, and you look at their sexual orientation, and, and you look at their country of origin. And by looking at those three things, you can tell whether the test for them is accurate or is going to be false. And I'm not joking. And Robert, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. We've done Yeah, it's a test that doesn't have any standards that can come up, quote-unquote, positive for maybe 120 different things, if not more. And yet it's the gold standard for determining whether somebody's going to die initially in one year, then five years, then 10, 20, 30, 40. Now, maybe you don't. Maybe there are elite non-progressors. This has become so ridiculous, so ridiculous that anybody still buys into it. But it was an incredible psychological, emotional snow job on a community that desperately begged to not be at fault and so that they could blame a virus. So they were complicit in drug, drug me, drug me now, drug us. We need drugs. If you remember that, Dr. Bittar, they were demanding 
get the FDA out of this. We need those drugs now. And they were slaughtered by AZT. Mm-hmm. I remember that. The gay so, Lynn, let, me, let me just uh, throw two questions at you that my peer group would, would propose. And they would probably do it in a more antagonistic fashion, but I'm just going to pose it to you and you tell me how would you answer this. The first one of those two questions would be when they talk about doing the Western blot, and then, which is supposedly the definitive test – the Western blot, from what I understand it, is a morphological uh, – it's, it's a test that's picking up a molecular weight protein, is it not? Yeah, molecular weight pro- – and it's all pretty voodoo stuff. I'll let you finish your question, but yes, the answer is yes. Okay, so the question is this. How would you if, – if you were to take all the people from – let's say you take a sampling of people from all over the world that are supposedly HIV positive, are you saying that the, molec- that the molecular weight test, the Western blot test – would not be positive in all those people? Uh, no, on the contrary. Everybody in the world would test positive on the Western blot or on the ELISA test. Now, they're the same synthetic proteins at this point. If you if you test an undiluted blood sample, and Roberto Geraldo did this at his clinic in New York when he was working there. He said, why are we diluting the blood sample for HIV tests so much? He was using ELISA tests. But remember, the two tests are the same. On the ELISA test, the proteins are clumped together in a well. On the Western blood test, they're dispersed. And it's really weird stuff. They're essentially dispersed on wet paper, and they're moved through by an electric by an electric current. So it's not like you're holding something in your hand. You never know really if you're looking at P24 or P24 and a half or P40, you know, you never quite you just go along with it. Like okay, that's what we're calling P24. Problem is P24 has the same molecular weight as I think as actin. Uh, here's a here's here's a counter riddle to your riddle. In England they don't do the western blot. They consider it too faulty, too many false positives, so they don't do it. They do two or three ELISA tests. That should be enough of an answer for. Yeah. And now yeah, in America, they're phasing. Yeah, in America, they're phasing it out. By the way, phasing yeah. it out. They want to do multiple ELISA tests. So it's like saying, "Hey, I have a magic eight ball, and it always tells you the wrong answer. We'll do it three times, and it will be the right answer." <laughs> <laughs> but. But let me throw this one last thought in. It wasn't just, yeah, the gay community might have begged, like, don't blame, you know, we're embattled enough. You know, everybody hates us. We don't have a right. We don't have civil rights. Don't blame us. It, but it wasn't just the gay community that made it possible. I, I think there's a huge psychosocial thing going on here that America and the West, and Robert, you, we've talked about this, had gotten rid of any value, that sex no longer had any value. Mm. It wasn't a beautiful thing for... <laughs> I don't want to do a Woody Allen joke. There's a Woody <laughs> Allen joke. He said, sex for, among two people is a beautiful thing. Among five, anyway. Uh, the, the, hey, it was his joke, and you can tell where he ended up. So, yeah. uh, but, but You can also blame it on the puppet. Yeah, the puppet. No, thank you. <laughs> but sex was devalued culturally. And, and it's not that I'm saying it's not supposed to be fun. or it's not, It is. But it was devalued as this rather uh, powerful experience that two people would uh, have with each other that could lead to babies but would also lead to a kind of closeness and if you look at the eastern kundalini Mm -hmm. yoga system you're like yeah you're aligning the chakras you're speaking very secret languages to each other in energy centers and the west said oh no you can have sex honestly robert Mm -hmm. uh, and and dr batar the only sexual advice i got growing up was twofold one i was shown where do i come from that book so i knew the clinical stuff from sort of age nine or eight uh, you know, I knew the anatomy and, and what was happening. Yes, the sperm goes in, you know, through the epididymis and then into the fallopian tube. You know, I knew that very young. Uh, but the only advice I got was 
Number one, wear a condom. Number two, don't get anybody pregnant. Not, not even no. the smoky. There, yeah, in the West, you're right, Liam. And we have discussed this. It, it, it was the sexual inter. Well, you, let's just say it was taken out of the sacred and debased as to something that had no meaning. And it always did, and it always will. The energetic exchange, etc. Listen, we got to take a break and wrap up Advanced Medicine Monday. It's beyond fascinating here with Dr. Batar and Liam Sheff. We'll tell you how to get both of the books after this. You're listening to the Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert Scott, the Bell Robert Show. Scott Bell Show. We only have a few minutes left, and I know we're going to have to go into some extra innings here, but uh, stand by. Doc- Dr. Batar, of course, you're asking some great questions of Liam because you know in your medical community there are still people that have not seen or heard this side of the backstory of this and that are still genuinely trying to help people get well, and we, we like that, but maybe utilizing information or parts of information that may not be valid. Well, actually, there's a lot of people in, in my realm, in, in my peer group, that have never heard any of this stuff. In fact, even the, quote, holistic, natural, alternative, integrated, whatever you want to call that population of physicians, regardless of what you call them, I would, I would venture that probably 95% of them aren't even aware of this information. One of my very, very close friends, who's a radiation oncologist, John Hopkins trained, uh, Dr. Marcial Vega, Victor Marcial Vega, when I first met him over 10 years ago, one of the interesting things that I, I had learned about him was that he was HIV positive. And he had basically, from what we understand, he was the first person that I'd ever heard of that had been HIV positive and then had seroconverted back to being HIV negative. And I asked him, I said, Victor, how did you do it? from a clinical perspective, only wanting to know the clinical implications of, uh, for, you know, once you're HIV positive, you're not supposed to ever be able to go back negative. And so I asked him, how did you do it? And his answer was, it's an amazing answer, that I just had a conversation with him last week, in fact, and he even forgot how he answered it because it's been so long since he even thought about this. He's now married. And, you know, back then he wasn't married. He has a child. And when I asked him, I said, how did you do it? His answer was love. Now, it's interesting because we have a joke among ourselves. It's all about love. And I'll go into that uh, later when I was going through my divorce. Uh, that was uh, a subject that could make a great movie anyway. <laughs> I mean, you guys would want to wait till the movie version comes out. That was 12 years ago. But hmm. what's interesting is that he called me right before I went to court over something that was happy. It was actually to do with the custody thing. And he told me, he said, I want you to promise me one thing. And I said, okay. He goes, tomorrow when you're in there – with the judge and with the um, uh, opposite attorney, the opposing attorney, he said, even when you look at your ex-wife, I only want you to think one thing, and that is positive thoughts, send thoughts of love to her and to the attorney and to the judge. And I thought, this guy's freaking lost his mind. And, and I told him, I said, what are you talking about? He said, just shut up and listen to me and promise me that you will have nothing but positive thoughts coming out of your head. Now, fast forward. It was the hardest thing I've ever done. When I went up to take the stand when the judge called me up, I was sweating so bad because I, it was physically exerting. I was in an air-conditioned co- courtroom, and even through my very loose attire, you know, I had a jacket on, I had perspired to the point that as I walked up there, I was squishing in my socks because physically the exertion of trying to have that thought of love and positive feelings going out towards people that I had everything, you know, 
I mean, I had every aspect of disdain that I could feel, and I was trying to suppress it. It was an internal dialogue, internal battle that I was having. But you know, when I, when I'm sitting here now and listening to you, Liam, I'm thinking about those words that he said, and I'm thinking, how did this guy, who's HIV positive himself, a physician, become HIV negative? And what you're saying validates because if it is, if you're if you change your entire demeanor, lifestyle, thought process. You know, it's like the cause of this virus. Obviously, we know it's not a virus. It's these protein addicts that are being measured. These um, these proteins, essentially, that are being accumulated, and they're they're assaying. If you can theoretically change everything, it's everybody could easily become HIV negative. Liam. Well, I think that by focus. Firstly, I believe that focusing on love is correct. It's the solution. You, 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 there's no problem that was ever solved by by hate. You can feel the anger you have for something. You can let it pass through your system. You can let all those fantasies unspool. Know that they're fantasies. Know that it's processed when you're really mad at somebody. And then when you heal a little bit, you come back and you you do. It's hard, but you have to offer compassion for yourself, for everyone else. We're all essentially, you know, that 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 mirror of the infinite source and we just have to know that somewhere and uh and and find that on the other hand now he he probably cleaned up his if he's focusing on love he's cleaning up his diet he's cleaning up his life he's uh doing a lot and that's going to do wonders for the blood on the other hand i just don't worry i think that hiv tests should be illegal i i, I don't think that a testing positive or negative because the medical literature says that they have no standard for determining the meaning of positive or negative, I just I would prefer that we forgave, you know, like a truth and reconciliation uh, commission, like my friend uh, uh, Kim Cools is doing. He's doing an HIV rec- truth and reconciliation commission. You just forgive the so-called diagnosis because it's not true, and then we That's just stop. that was my point that if it's actually yeah. no validity to it. If you clean up your body and those proteins aren't showing up anymore, you're going to see an improvement anyway in the spectrum. And theoretically, what exactly. you just said, it negates any anybody could become seronegative because you clean up your diet, you clean up, you, you detoxify your system, you, you start living your life, change your life, improve your life. Boom. Yep. And if you're as fascinated by this discussion as I am, we're going to continue on. Special bonus extra innings with Dr. Rashid Bittar, Advanced Medicine Monday, keeps on going with Liam Sheff as well. We'll explain to you how to download it after the show. Check the notes at robertscottbell.com. It'll also be available through Medical Rewind. Stand by. Lots more healing to go. In the meantime, remember that the power to heal is yours. The Robert Scott Bell Show. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert Scott the Bell Robert Show. Scott Bell Show. Bonus time. It's extra innings of the Robert Scott Bell Show, special edition, Advanced Medicine Monday. I want to remind everybody listening, you can get more of this in person in Philadelphia. First opportunity, September 21st and 22nd, and that is advancedmedicineseminars.com. It's linked up to the show notes at robertscottbell.com. Welcome, one and all. Welcome back, Dr. Batar. Welcome back, Liam Sheff. So, Liam, Huzzah. just continue with that same thought process because... This is this is very intriguing, and my whole point was that if an individual has cleaned up his life, even if he ha- 
because this doesn't even exist, it's going to be very easy for a person to test negative. And I know that's not the important thing because if it doesn't exist, there's nothing positive and negative to really look at. But still, it explains why this man who before in my world, in the world with almost all physicians, it's impossible to, to share convert back to HIV negative if you've been positive any time. But in actuality, based upon what you said, it's very, very easy to see that possibility now because it never existed in the first place. Well, the problem with it is it's a nonspecific test. And, and if you've been pregnant, you're producing anti-self, essentially, proteins that will click the test over. And it doesn't mean you're sick. If you've ever had a drink, ever been injected, uh, the test in the medical literature comes up positive in mice. And then they, they say, we're very surprised because these mice aren't HIV positive. Well, no, duh. <laughs> uh, you know, and they, it comes up positive in dogs. And then cow Are these gay mice and gay dogs? Or? <laughs> no, 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 no. They're, la- they're lab. It was. You no, know, and again, it, it's not about gay because you, you, it's about. Yeah, I mean, it was a ha- joke. It was supposed to be. Oh, a joke. oh sorry, sorry. But what happened? Yes, they were gay mice and gay dogs. Yeah. <laughs> they were. They were actually. You know, it was Tom Hanks and that guy in that show, Bosom Buddies. And they. Yeah. But the problem about worrying about zero converting, you're not really because your friend. Like I said, we. If I took my blood and I diluted it to the point at which they want it to be diluted, and I, I, I probably would be negative or not i would be not actually negative you know it's not a plus and a minus you know that you know this because you're you you work in this stuff it's actually it's actually a graded scale and we're all a little bit reactive and once you're above a certain point of reactivity with the same proteins you're considered positive but if you're just a little bit below it with the same proteins you're negative but it's the same thing so what really makes it positive and negative is an interpretation so you can't there's nobody in the world who's uh, viral load negative. You can't, unless you're not producing cells anymore and there's nothing to measure. Everybody tests reactive on tests for this non-thing because the test... So I could test your friend today with a certain number of tests and I could still get him to be reactive. And then I could test him with another variety of tests and get him to be less reactive. And when he went back in, I don't know, it was his lucky day. His heart and soul were, were working in the right place. And maybe what happened was he said, uh, you know, I'm a heterosexual and da-da-da-da-da-da. And they said, oh, well, you're not at risk. Because that happens too. And I have a, uh, an acquaintance who knew this information. He went into two places in New York. He went into one and said, uh, I'm a, yeah, which was the truth, I'm a, I'm, I'm a heterosexual male in my 20s, and uh, no, I don't do any drugs. Then he went into another clinic in another part of town and said, I'm a gay male in my 20s, I have a lot of boyfriends, and I do drugs. He had one negative result and one positive result. So, you know, I don't, I think nobody should to, to ever take these tests. I don't think people should try to become negative. I think they should try to become healthy. I think what we need to do is essentially form a community of people that says this is an outdated test. We no longer have any, has clearly no medical value because the medical literature says, and it's been saying for 30 years, there is no standard for determining the absence or presence of HIV. That's what it you know, says. You know, here's the thing. I grew up. Okay, during my internship and residency in Texas, I spent a lot of time at Baylor doing my 
doing my uh, year at Brook Army Medical Center, Fort Sam Houston, which is where the Institute of Surgical Research was. That's why I was doing my first year postgraduate training in general surgery after internship. I'd been uh, to Korea, hardship tour, came back and was doing my general surgery residency there. Spent a lot of time at Baylor, about half the year was spent at Baylor. And H- Ben Taub Hospital in Houston is a big gun and knife club, or knife and gun club as we refer to it. And 35% of the people that are coming into the trauma uh, area by definition, were HIV positive, meaning penetrating trauma, gunshot wounds, knife wounds, that type of stuff. More than one out of three was HIV positive. And then when you're operating on these people and you've been operating for 36 hours straight and then you're, you get, you're on call every other night or every third night and you know, you're operating and sleeping and operating and uh, operating, sleeping, and operating, 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 sleeping – Things get a little blurry, people get clumsy, and they are all sorts of needle sticks. I think I was stuck maybe 15 or 16 times intraoperatively with the needle because as I was getting hand the scalp, the, the, the um, hemostats with the suture or, or the, the suture drivers or I was handing somebody else or whatever during the operation. And again, these aren't controlled environments. This is you know a trauma environment, so this, it's messy, et cetera, et cetera. We would get stuck, and we actually had HIV tests done every 60 days, the, the surgery residents did, in order to make sure that we hadn't become HIV positive. And with the number of times I've been stuck with needles that were contaminated, I always thought to myself, you know, um, why didn't I get HIV? Because it's probably been, I think they say it's a two-year window after your last exposure. exposure. You know, And th- these are needles actually going in, drawing blood, if, everything, you know, getting this happening. Um, and my last needle, needle stick with an HIV positive patient was probably in 1990, probably 1995, 1994. So 1996, 1997 was that time frame that, you know, I was looking for to make sure that that I still was negative. Cause in my mind, again, you know, I'm a physician, I'm, I'm believing the same things. Sure, the, whatever incubation could be hanging out, it's going to show up later. As they said, it kept prolonging. But this this reminds me, Dr. Batar, of something maybe you're not aware of as well in the whole history, and it's written about in the chapter and official stories on this, this Nancy Padian or Padian. How do you say it, Liam? I say Padian. She says, I think Padian, yeah. Yeah. There's a, a series of studies that she did about this so-called seroconversion of discordant couples, one being supposedly positive, one being negative, and they followed X number of years of all of these couples to find out, hey, how many times can we determine that, that you know, in a heterosexual relationship, is there some sort of transference, similar to like this so-called the pinpricks, the needle sticks, that they're not related necessarily to sexual exchanges, but in this case it was, and the shocking res- result of this, uh, Liam, I'll let you say it. Right. So 175 couples uh, doing it or, or vaginally, uh, I assume orally and anally, uh, admitted up to 40%. They're couples before they come into the six-year observation study. So they were, you know, God knows how long they were couples. 175 of them banging away at 175 uh, so-called positives and negatives. So 350 people, if I did that right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, after all the years went by, not, none of them, zero, zero was the number of the people who were negative became positive. Why? Because they kept out IV drug users. Now, I loved your description of the knife and gun club because when you're in a knife and gun club, you know, a lot of the people coming in are, uh, I, I'm just going to guess, are probably living kind of on the low life side of things that maybe they're poor. Oh, almost all of them are. 
Right. Maybe in gangs. So they're going to be exposed to drugs. They're going to have poor nutrition. They're going to have all of the, the problems and, and, I don't know, handicaps of poverty, which, which increases your antibody titer. They're also, guess what they are? They're targeted for testing. That's why you know their so-called status. Or maybe you bring them in. They just have high, anti- high antibody titers. You know, I don't because I never injected a drug and I haven't had a vac- you know, an injection of a vaccine for two, two three, I don't know, a long, long, long time. So if, if you avoid if you avoid injections, you don't spike your antibody. If you take a lot of injections, you do a lot of drugs, if you have a porous gut, if you have a leaky gut, you have a high antibody titer because you're leaking stuff into your blood stream and your body has no defense but to coat these things with antibodies, try to get them out of the body. It's not what, I mean, that's really a secondary immune system. Your primary immune system is in your gut trying to keep these poisons out, you know, flush them through the bowel. Uh, but yeah, I don't think there's been one case in history where you know somebody developed AIDS because they were stuck with a needle. You can test people all day long, but the test is an artifact of a of a belief. The reality is that AIDS is what happens when you begin to destroy people's immune systems, which is what you do after you test the people who you say are and you at do risk. It. Liam, you do it emotionally and spiritually, not just physically with this stuff. I mean, I can b- talk about AZT and the history and what happened and even the, the milder forms of chemo that they still use. But it's an emotional and spiritual assault on these people. It is. It is. You know, the gay community, uh, the number of people dying went down from, I think, 86 to 87. It was going down. It was a little above 10,000. They introduced... What is it? Glaxo Welcome. GlaxoSmithKline introduces a chemotherapy drug. It's a bone marrow suppressing drug. It's a liver bomb. It destroys the liver, destroys the bone marrow where you produce blood. These guys are already coming in, you know, iron, weak, you know, porous guts. They give them a bone marrow suppressing drug called AZT in 1,500, 1,600, 1,700 milligram doses, a gram and a half a day. For, for, this is supposed to be for life. It's chemotherapy. It's cancer chemotherapy for life. Chemical you know, mustard gas warfare kind of stuff. It's World War One going on in their bodies. They died. You, you, the, the, these guys died in three weeks or a month. Some some guys died in a week. Keith Haring, uh, according to, uh, I'm not going to get his name right now, but according to one of the members of ACT UP, went on a, I think DDL, 3TC, one of the analogs to AZT, died in a week, a week on this drug. He wasn't sick. He tested positive, was afraid, went on the drug, died. Uh, okay, Arthur Ashe, AZT, died. So the, the death rate went up from about 12,500 to about 45,000 people a year by 1993, 4, uh, and 5. And then they pulled AZT out of the market in, in a high dose and knocked it down to about 100 milligrams. They still give it. They still give it to pregnant women. So, you know, the whole thing is a giant pharmaceutical mess, but if you, if you believe the HIV, there is no test for HIV. Nobody in my mind is HIV positive. I don't even believe it is a term. I think it's the, you know, if they are, it's because they either want to be or they haven't been told that the test has no value. But there are people who have been told the test has no value who want to be. And I believe it's because they feel they get benefits from it. They, they're, 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 they, they have a certain psychological thing going on that they feel... We, well, we have talked to, to, uh, to people, in fact, on the show that have, for instance, gotten subsidies because they maintain that status, housing subsidies, drug subsidies, other things, and they weren't willing to, to give it up so that they rejected it because there was an economic incentive to be positive. All right. Here's, 
all right. So I I, I kind of sat with a, a guy a gay guy in his fifth mid late fifties in New York City, New York City, Babylon, you know, New York City, where all everything happens. Uh, and these guys in their fifties are living like young men in their twenties. They're going out and you know, quote, finger quote in the air, partying, which means having sex with a lot of different people. That's what it means. Uh, and, you know, playing is actually another term in the gig. Oh, we're going out to play. So imagine that you're 50 and you're married and you have a wife and, you, and you, she and you just say, oh, we're going out to play. We're going out to play. We're both going to have sex with people that we meet at the club. We may have sex with two or three people. You're going to get STDs. You're going to have problems. But beyond that, I think there's a psychosocial, a uh, psychological uh, kind of unease that happens. You're like, holy crap, you know, I'm, I'm, making, I'm connecting with people, but I'm not connecting, and I feel anxious, and I, somebody tell me I'm okay. Somebody tell me I'm okay. So you go in, and you, and you go, and you go to the confessional, which is the HIV thing, and you go and you say, well, uh, your eminence or whatever, you know, well, Father, I've sinned. I've had sex with five people that I don't know. Am I infected? Am I blessed or am I cursed? And this, by the way, there are dissertations written in HIV clinical studies about how HIV testing is exactly like the old Christian confessional. You go in to a darkened place, reveal your secrets to one person, and you need to go back every six months. It's funny, Dr. Batar said they, they somehow pushed it up to two years. The standard, you're supposed to know it within six months, which is hysterical. It's hysterical to think that you would have to wait six months to know if you had an STD. Let me tell you, if you've ever had one, you know immediately, ouch, ouch, <laughs> shouldn't have done that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the only one where you don't have any sign where the organs of uh, the sexual arena exist. Yeah, it's it's an amazing thing. And then they say, oh, it's two years later. I could still be suffering from. But isn't that doesn't that tell you that what you're suffering, uh, what you're suffering if you buy into that and you keep doing it for the sexual thing, you're suffering the guilt or the shame or the anxiety about maybe I don't know being just so unmoored and ungrounded. I'm not judging anybody because I grew up in that culture. I am not judging anybody for any kind of behavior. I'm saying that it will provoke anxiety responses and you'll need to go get those soothed and if you don't believe that sex is something that ha- is important and should be protected i'm not saying you got to get married for life I'm, I'm just saying that it is important it's not just recreational it actually means something you're going to be you're going to provoke those deep anxiety centers and you're going to need somebody to tell you that you're okay or not and if you go to these hiv priests they'll kill you well no, it's, pro- it's, it's just amazing when you think about it because you know, you just said that about the sexually transmitted disease. If you've had it, you, you know you've had it, and to wait two years. But that's exactly the fear-mongering that is so typical in our society from everything economic, mm-hmm. health, you know, wellness, food. I mean, every aspect, it's that creation of that fear that keeps everybody in check. And this was just another example of that. It's a fear. Yeah, I was just teasing you about that. I appreciate. I appreciate your long silence. I was feeling for the audience. But, no, no, uh, it was it was fantastic. And you know, this is I've called it the the death stick of the Western culture. You know, those times where you could be in the so-called primitive cultures where they have the one medicine man or whatever, the voodoo man, whatever you want to call it. They point the death stick and in three days the people are dead. And it is that kind of scenario that has happened early on within the so-called HIV death cult that we call it now. Uh, it isn't based on sound science, but it's based on black magic. 
Yeah, Michael Elner pointed that out. He said it was like the Aboriginal bone pointing. Uh, the Greeks, the Greeks used to break a pot, and the pieces would be called ostraca. And you, you know, anybody that you just you'd ostracize them. Literally, they'd get the the wrong piece of the of the pot. You know that they they would find a way to fix it. That the guy that you didn't want in in the city anymore would get the piece that was like the smallest piece or the largest, whichever it was. So this is an ancient practice: finger pointing, ostracizing, scapegoating. You're the, you know, witch hunting. It was done in the, it was done in the 1500s, uh, 1400s. The Malayas Maleficarum was called the Witch's Hammer, and it was written by a monk. It's attributed to two monks, and it said, we're being beset by witches, and you don't know who they are, and you only know if you put them all to the test. Anybody you suspect, you put to the test. Well, what was happening at that time was that the uh, church in Rome was so heavily taxing the satellite nations of Europe, which weren't nations of Europe then, they were you know, satellites of, of the Roman church, that people in those areas were becoming like, uh, I'm going to say Erasmus, uh, I might be getting that wrong, but like uh, Wyclef and, and Martin Luther were standing up and you know, hosting open rebellions against the Pope in Rome. Martin Luther called the Pope in Rome the, you know, that pretender that the, uh, he called him the, that antichrist in Rome, which is just an amazing thing to say about the most powerful man in the world and not be killed. But he ended up, Martin Luther ended up with support of his, of his town or of city people and the local duke uh, and such. Because how? Because he, they didn't want to have their money taken anymore and, and siphoned off to Rome, so they supported him. But the, the, the monks said, oh, there are witches among you. Now, the reason you do that is to get a population to turn inward on itself. Oh, there are witches among you. you. Don't turn against the Pope. Don't turn against the taxation. Don't turn against bad governance. You have to turn against yourselves. And that's what happened in 1983. It wasn't, it wasn't uh, you, the drugs that you're taking, the drugs that we've let you take, the drugs we've given you, the lifestyle that we've encouraged you to have that has no moral compass, no moral boundaries, no 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 social good coming out of it, really, uh, no emotional good coming out of it. Don't worry about any of that. Don't worry about pesticides. Don't worry about industry. There's a witch among you, and you can't see it. And you won't see it for two years. Keep coming back and asking us if you have the witch. Keep coming back. Stunning. And we've talked in terms of uh, modern medicine, Dr. Bataral, many times we brought this up, being more like a religion or a cult. And it's playing itself out like that. The thing is, it's, it's ancient history, but it's also modern science. And that's what it, it's the same pattern that's repeating. It's just... Um amazing that it's on such a great scale and so widespread because this has this phenomena isn't just affecting the american population as most of these phenomena that we've discussed and of course having some outreach to nations beyond us but this hiv aspect i mean this is global and you know when you start looking at it from the practical aspect that you've just drawn out liam now you start understanding that those in Africa, for example, severe poverty, severe malnutrition, severe exposure to the elements and to various types of pathogens. They don't have clean water. They don't have sustainable food. In fact, half the time they don't have any food. And so they are going to be the perfect vector to suffer from this, this type of uh, uh, creation. And it's global. It actually has an impact to every aspect, every, every individual on the planet. Yeah, it's wild. That was 85. The CDC sent over Joseph McCormick, 
who wrote about it in, in his book, uh, Level 4 Virus Hunters of the CDC. And he, they had a meeting in Bangui, which is the capital of the Central African Republic, which is the old Congo. And the old Congo is where King Leopold of Belgium enslaved people, cut their hands off, you know, just had his his uh, whatever emissaries, his sergeants, just brutally murder Africans for not working hard enough as slaves. So this area of the world had seen the brutality of, of the human species on itself. So they go there and they say, well, we need to start counting cases of this new AIDS thing. Like, really? You know, in, in the Congo and in Idi Amin's Uganda, Idi Amin, who, you know, under him, uh, tens and tens, maybe a hundred of thousands of his citizens were butchered and murdered. And then in South Africa, where the Dutch uh, government had murdered untold thousands and essentially enslaved into Bantus and Tinshak towns with no clean water, with pits, latrine pits, you know, emptying into, into the river. This is where we want to start counting the so-called same disease that affected very, very isolated, ghettoized men in the gay community in America, in Paris. Really? And they said that the only thing we need to do to, <laughs> to count cases was look for three major signs, and you just name them. <laughs> Weight loss, diarrhea, and fever or itching and coughing. So talk about tuberculosis, malaria, dysentery, sepsis. And all when you deregulate the immune system, you don't feed a body, it's got no glutathione, no selenium. All of the, I'd say, constrained elements of the ancient genome uh, pop out. So people end up just covered in herpes sores. And, and you can you and there and there there are doctors and nurses over there. There's citizens over there who reverse this. They give people olive oil, garlic, uh, lemon juice, and beet solutions with sea salt. And uh, you know, remarkably, this, which is high in glutathione, essential fatty acids. You know, they add some essential fatty acids to it, uh, and and all the beta carotene, other things you need from these these whole integral organic essential superfoods managed to reverse all of the manifested illness in people but the the governments over there really they don't want to hear it they don't want to hear it you know they don't they, because they don't get money for helping people get better they get money from the aids cabal that goes in and says show us how many cases you have now i got one last thing on this terry michael who i, ho- I think we'll have this sh- on the show this week just yes. went yeah, he just went to the AIDS con- International AIDS Conference back in America for the first time in, I don't know, 20 years, and asked Francoise Barré-Sinoussi, who's the you know, co-recipient of the Nobel Prize with, with Luc Montagnier, for so-called discovery of what they called LAV, which is a lymph node swelling you know, vi- associated virus, which was later recombined in a title with HIV. This was all very political, very political stuff. Anyway, uh, Luc Montagnier has said on the record, you we can be exposed. Here, I'll do my Luke Montagnier. Yes. You can be exposed to HIV many times without being chronically infected. <laughs> uh, he said, if you have a good immune system, you can, uh, your body can get rid of the virus. So he, he said on camera, if you have a good immune system, your body can get rid of whatever we think you have. And Terry Michael stood up and says, hey, what do you, you know, he said, very, it was really eloquent. We'll play it like on Wednesday, whenever he's on the yes. show Thursday. He, he's, he just asked it in, in sort of brilliant clinical terms. What do you think about your colleague, Nobel Prize winner, saying you can be? A, it's a, it's about the blood immunity. It's about the strength of the body to deal with what. It's not the blasted, you know, insuperable, made-up virus. It's how well a person's own body is working. 
And she sort of fumbled the answer. It was sort of irrelevant what she said. It was just to ask the question in that room full of... It was stunning. If, yeah. if I say scoundrels, yeah, scoundrels, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Definitely. Well, again, this this transforms the whole terrain, and you know we hope, and, and through advanced medicine, Doctor Batar, it's not only addressing the so-called real ailments, the chronic toxicological and degenerative inflammatory diseases that we talk about, but it's also helping people to, I guess, detach or, or decouple or maybe be deprogrammed from the cult of not science, but as Liam Chef calls it, scientism. Well, you know, it's. Music to my ears, because as you know, Robert, you've read the book uh, numerous times, and you know that my whole premise of everything that I do, it's all based on toxicity. And with, to me, I have made that statement already. I've proven it. We've documented it. We've had patients from every gamut and the untreatable conditions such as autism, cancer. I've said that if you can effectively detoxify the body and reduce, and that's the key operative word, effectively, detoxify the body. In other words, reduce the toxic load and improve the nutritional basis of an individual mm-hmm. to the way that it's supposed to be that chronic disease by definition cannot exist. I don't care whether it's stage four cancer, whatever it is, we've reversed it. So now HIV, uh, you've actually gone on and said the same thing. So there is no non-curable condition on this planet. And I've long believed that the creator would not have ever put a quote, pathology on the planet without its cure already being here. I I think we can heal from many, many, many things. I give it up to the powers that be to, you know, take us away when we're supposed to be taken away. It's it's not up to us to know. And, and, you know, I do look at the big plagues that happen on the planet as sort of part part of the natural process of the planet. But I got to tell you, they happen quickly. Like in a couple years, you'll lose half the population of a continent. But what's happened uh, with so-called HIV in Africa is that every country that was supposed to be gone by 1990 had doubled and then tripled population. So give me a break, you know. (laughs) Uh, This is the same old eugenics mindset that Thomas Malthus was writing about when he said those dark-skinned people are having non-Christian sex. You know, they're having too many kids. It's... You know, and and so Africans are rising up and uh, coming up with naturally fermented, really, really, really healthy, um, uh, biologically active drinks that have you know superfoods and all this kind of stuff. And I'm going to butcher I'm going to butcher the name, Umlingo uh, Wamangolosi. it says curing AIDS by being healthy, and this is an, a movement going on, being sort of headed by you know by Africans for Africans. Yes. they're they're taking this, and it's a you can make it at, at home, and it's an incredibly healthy food product. And we we would sell it here in bottles and charge you know forty five dollars for the privilege of having you know thirty day supply. So you can make it at home too. Anyway, maybe we'll 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 link to that for the oh, show. Absolutely. Now. You know, I'm back in the early nineties I was uh, able to go to uh, Nigeria and Ghana and I met with the health professionals there as a homeopath, as you know, holistic guy. And I told them, go back into the bush and save the medicine of your ancestors. We have screwed it up in the West. Do not be like us. Do not do what we have done save your medicine and they were shocked stunned by the message that i came because they were used to the the white man coming to there to tell them all the knowledge and how great you know what we have done is and i said no we've screwed it up go back into the bush and save your medicine it sounds like they're getting the message yeah you know a lot of them are and and the mainstream has so little 
to say that's reasonable about AIDS, if you say we treated somebody, they, re- they reversed their immune deficiency, and you don't even worry about the make-believe HIV test because don't worry about it. Uh, but we reversed this person's healthy, they've had a kid, they're doing great. The mainstream has one word for people who uh, do this. Robert, shall I give it to you? Yes, please. No, 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 you go ahead. You say it. Oh, no, 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 no. This is, this is for you, Liam. You're a special guest here in Extra Innings. Ugh. What do they call people who don't believe them? Deniers. Deniers of science. They call them AIDS denialists, and they liken them to Holocaust denialists. So their argument is only this resilient. If you don't believe us, if you manage to get healthy, which we say we're interested in, but if you don't believe us that you're forever infected with some garbage because uh, somebody bit a monkey or had sex with a monkey uh, somewhere, in now they've backdated it, by the way, to the uh, gold rush, 1880s. No, I'm serious. Like yeah. AIDS was now, HIV was now invented in the 1880s when somebody bit a monkey or cut a monkey or something like that. Mm-hmm. You, you know, the Dave Chappelle, <laughs> I got to take a line from Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle, very funny comedian. Uh, you guys know Dave Chappelle? I've heard the name. Yeah. All right, very the Chappelle Show, very very funny, uh, really uh, wild, and and you know, uh, he's 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 doing his act, and he's saying. H AIDS isn't that a isn't that a B? Uh, you know these scientists though they don't they don't even know what it is. They say that it came when a guy had sex with a monkey, and he goes like this: guy had sex with a monkey, and then had sex with his wife. And he says, "Wait a second. Once you go to have sex with a monkey, you've more or less taken yourself outside of the human sex game." <laughs> like, honey, I got to go have sex with that monkey again. All right, baby, just be back. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, like you're out. Yeah, That's you're it. not coming back. You're not coming back. <laughs> so it's just you and the monkey from then on. <laughs> and he does a really funny bit on it. But if you just apply even sort of street corner logic to it, the whole thing falls apart. Like he just did. Like give me a break with the sex with the monkey. So now they backdated it to when somebody was was uh, you know carving a monkey up and accidentally cut themselves. Well, you know, Doctor Batar says that this happens all the time in the operating room. People stick themselves all the time. Got to tell you, the body's a lot smarter than our heads are. And uh, the body isn't worried about, you know, we can recover from a lot of stuff. What we can't recover from, though, is, is carpet bombing our, our intestines with chemotherapy for mm-hmm. years and years. Yeah, well said. Well All said. Right. Man, what an amazing extra innings, Dr. Batar, man. Thanks for hanging in with us. This has uh, been a fascinating discussion. And I'm, and I'm sure all of those that listen and love to listen to the Advanced Medicine Monday segments of the Robert Scott Bell Show, getting this through Medical Rewind, probably are, are blown away right now having heard the show plus the extra innings because you've been opened up to a whole other realm of understanding what Dr. Batar has been saying for years and writing about, that it is. It's all toxicology. And we were duped on this. We were duped on that until one day we wake up and go, the whole thing was a dupe. Well, it's, it is music to my ears, like I said, and I appreciate you, Liam, uh, helping us to to bring this to um, our audience, which is, you know, everybody, every one of these shows, I think there's different audiences, and I know for my, for my followers, for the people that are my um, listeners, and that Robert and I cater to for at least our market, uh, our sector, the Advanced Medicine Mondays, for them, this will be definitely eye-opening, and it'll help them to understand. And it's actually been eye-opening for me, too, but it'll help them to understand the basis of what I'm talking about because I'm talking about from my frame of reference. I have never talked about HIV because I really haven't 
had that many HIV patients. I've only treated maybe two or three. All of them seemed like they got better. We didn't bother doing titers before and after or anything like that. But it is common sense that if you improve the status of the body and you improve and clean up the terrain, as Robert likes to talk about the gut as being a terrain, Mm -hmm. then by definition, you're going to have an improvement. It's amazing to me that a patient will walk into my office and they'll be weak and they've been on chemo and they've, they're nauseated, they're losing their hair, and we don't even do anything for the first couple of days. We're just giving them some nutritional IVs, taking them off some of their uh, ancillary medication that they've been put on to control some of their symptoms and seeing if we can manage it with things that are less impeding to their physiology and in one week, you see these people stronger, feeling better. They have color in their face. They're able to stand up. They're actually able to ambulate often on their own, whereas before they were in a wheelchair. And so what you're saying just takes that last little component that you know I don't have any experience with having treated only two or three patients and validate everything that I've been doing clinically. It's like hearing the uh, um, Bruce Lipton was for me, I just laughed. I was lit, I was driving my car. Uh, one of our mutual friends, Robert Alden Butcher, had actually his set to listen to. And driving down, I'm driving and I'm listening to these CDs, and I started laughing because what I had observed clinically is what Bruce Lipton is talking about in his yes uh, in his in his program, the biology of belief. Mm-hmm. And what was the most amazing thing to me is that everything he was saying. It's not that. It was making sense to me, but I was realizing that I have clinically proven what he is theorizing or what he has clinically established and proven it. And that's why I was laughing and, and it was so funny to me because here I've been doing something and I had no idea what I was doing. He was now putting the story mm-hmm. or putting the words to what I'd already filmed. Yeah. And, and, so and, doing this limb because it was and, the next that yeah and brilliantly in an academic in an academic type setting and way which was also amazing because he utilized the science against those who who tried to deny that kind of reality and epigenetics etc so yeah we've entered into a new realm a new frontier and it fits all the all all too well with the concept of advanced medicine what you've been doing for years i want to remind everybody if you're just now listening we're wrapping up the extra innings version of the robert scott bell show advanced medicine monday we do this every monday with dr rashi batar we invited liam and it's been fantastic as well. And Liam's book is available, Official Stories. You can check it out through liamchef.com or CreateSpace. We have those linked up as well. Those of you who plan to come to the Advanced Medicine Seminar in Philadelphia, we hope to have a number of copies there for you to get on site. So we'll work on working on that as well. And, and Dr. Batar, anything else to wrap it up? Because this has been like a super bonus. No, I'm just glad we were able to do it. And I appreciate you, Robert, uh, suggesting it because I think it's great and it's going to be well received by everybody. And Liam, man, thanks for uh, staying around with us. This was an awesome uh, segment. I'm grateful. This is Dr. Batar's scheduled time. I'm uh, now, I mean, I'm a, I'm a fan. Uh, now I'm a super fan. He's incredibly generous. And it's just good to hear, look, that, that you know, medicine needs a future, right? That not everybody's going to go off the rails and sort of just start composting, doing all their own stuff. We need doctors who get this. You know, we do need doctors. I'm not anti-doctor, uh, and it's. Uh, I am be- anti-doctor, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have old compost piles. <laughs> uh, I, I think we need healers that we can trust who tell us the truth, and Doctor Batars, he's doing it. I mean, I look. If I have something I'm not going to be able to solve, I'm going to give. I know who I'm calling. 
Well, I appreciate that. That's a that's a strong endorsement, and to me, that's the most generous compliment. Thank you. Yes, so <laughs> that's okay. I mean, we are we have gone so far into overtime extra innings. I don't know if the audience is still here, but they probably are because I've been as fascinated as anything. And when we are, they are. And I appreciate you both. Uh, you really do strengthen the concept and, and the core belief system here on this show that we do. And every day I say this, and it even gets stronger every week when we get together for advanced medicine. And that is simply that the power to heal is yours. <laughs> <laughs> 